Who in the Name, read by the artist. Chapter 1. Church. Kobe. I want to use as a topic today, show me some ID. In addition to the various synagogues, mosques, and other religious institutions, there are approximately 3,000 churches in Philadelphia and many thousands of people that identify themselves as Christian. Amen? I praise God for those people every day. And at the same time, it seems like every time I turn around, I hear about another unarmed black child, young man or woman being killed, brutalized, or disregarded because somebody called the police on them for nothing other than existing while black. And what's worse is that these incidents are carried out by the police, who are not always the bad guys in these situations, but who are nevertheless charged without protection and service. Y'all know the cases. I don't need to mention Philando Castile, Eric Gardner, Tamir Rice. And just last week, I saw a young brother being arrested for, of all things, eating a sandwich on a subway platform. Now, why do I mention all this? I say it because it seems like every other week we're being caught in the crossfire. And I'm wondering where we are. Where is the church? Where is our moral outrage at all of this? Who have we become? The thing I like most about my brother's sermons was that they were always real. Even as a child, Kobe had the uncanny ability to be brutally honest without being offensive enough to alienate anyone. I guess it was only just natural that it carried over into his style of preaching. His sermons were never sugar-coated or toned down to sacrifice daily, delicate sensibilities. And for me, they were always relevant. I will admit that there were some in the congregation that thought his sermons were a little too academic, but there weren't many. As I sat there in a pew holding my wife's hand, the events of the last 11 months washed over me, and I felt a sense of peace that I had since I was a child. I wasn't proud of everything that had happened over the past year, but all in all, I think that founding the Righteous Brothers was one of the best ideas I've ever had. The implementation of that idea, however, was admittedly not without its problems. The Righteous Brothers was a community advocacy organization that I started after hearing about the death of Amber Crossan. Amber was a beautiful nine-year-old little girl that lived in Southwest Philly. Unfortunately, one day she happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. That wrong place happened to be playing in front of our own house on a hot summer day. Amber's family had just moved in and their house happened to be the one adjacent to mine. And as a heated verbal disagreement about whether one of our white concealed carry neighbors had the right to question an Hispanic couple about where they were going and why escalated. Amber quickly rounded up her four-year-old sister and two friends and was hustling them up the stairs to her house when she was hit in the temple by a stray bullet. I don't have any children, but if I were to have a little girl, I'm sure she would look very similar to Amber. And while I didn't know Amber well, the scenario was all too familiar. It seemed like for 
most of the last year, month after month, there were stories about white folks taking it upon themselves to straighten out these black and brown folks who were trying to exist in their same space. Their attitudes were almost seemed to say, I mean, the nerve of these uppity Negroes. Don't they know that Donald Trump is the president? In any event, Amber's death was the last little bit that I could stand. So from that moment on, I decided I wasn't going to stand idly by and let any, even one more of our children die. One more sister be humiliated. One more brother scream, I can't breathe, only to be accidentally choked to death. Or have one more Hispanic brother or sister be told to go back to where they came from without doing something. If they were going to monitor us, we were going to monitor them and correct the motherfucker if necessary. And so the concept of the Righteous Brothers was born. The Sunday after Amber's death, Kobe had done a sermon about why more black men don't attend church. And the thing that he said that resonated the most with me was that the number one reason why many black men say they don't go to church more is that they think that it's soft. I thought Kobe was an, did an excellent job of breaking down the stereo, this type of logic, this stereotypical type of logic, I should say. In part, he said, uh, they here turn the other cheek and they think it means let people run all over you. Well, apparently they don't know that Peter was quick to cut a dude or Paul kicked a behind or two in his day. For whatever reason, that day the message just hit home. It was like he was specifically talking to me that day. Like he was saying, Cole, what are you doing? What are you going to do? I felt like I had to respond. And the idea came to me to form an organization of disciplined, strong black men. An organization much like that of the Fruit of Islam, but instead made up of Christian men. Kobe and I had talked about something similar for years before Amber died, but her death was definitely the catalyst for moving from thinking to acting, or at least it was for me. We conceptualized an organization of men who were not only unafraid to speak up for what is right, but who would also act to change things in our neighborhood, even if that meant having to face death. The unique concept, however, was that we would achieve it, our end in the least restrictive, most educational manner possible. The way I saw it was that we shouldn't shy away from confrontation, but we should also leave room for change and de-escalation, even within that confrontation. The bottom line is that sometimes you got to grip a brother up to get him to listen. But once he is listening, you can offer him a different way. Essentially, though, the Righteous Brothers was going to be a neighborhood watch type of organization. But not your run-of-the-mill, make sure you keep your lights on, take a bite out of the crime kind of group. It was going to be a hardcore, by any means necessary, no bullshit kind of group. I had no doubt that the more militant aspect of, what, of doing whatever was necessary to affect change would appeal to some brothers. Brothers who were tired of seeing the decline of our community because of racism, drugs, violence, ignorance, and just 
plain fucking stupidity. The unfortunate thing is that it also meant that we would likely attract an element that frankly wasn't all that savory. Be that, be that as it may, we'd have to deal with this as it came. It was a good concept. It was brothers helping brothers and others to develop a better understanding of each other and what is and what isn't acceptable behavior. And we would do this without judgment or looking down on the fact that we all have past. Yes, we would make room for the idea that even Picnic Patty can change without having to catch some hands first. Make no mistake, when I say that we all have past, I don't intend to exclude myself. I'm not proud of it, but about 10 years before Amber's death, my boy Nate and I had been in the drug business for the better part of two years. It was never my intention to continue running for so long, but money was good, and the longer I continued, the harder it became to let go from a financial standpoint. And at some point, at some point, I just got struck. It started my senior year in high school when an older dude from in the neighborhood that I had known since I was a child asked me to deliver a package to someone for which he paid me $200. I suspected it was drugs, but I never asked. As time went on, the pay and the packages got bigger, and I didn't know how to say no to it all. My conscience did bother me, but I was able to quell my internal conflict with two thoughts. The first was that being a runner meant that I was only responsible for transport. I told myself that I had nothing to do with distribution. I got the stuff from A to B. That's it. The other thing that helped me through was the knowledge that unlicensed pharmaceutical distributors tend to get nervous about employee turnover, which tends to be bad for employee health. That being the case, I kept silent. Of course, I eventually did get out when the old head I ran for got arrested. I was happy to be out. I felt really bad about the fact that I had stayed in it for so long. In any event, when I was out, I was out. I didn't expect people to understand, and I don't expect them to. And I quietly wrestled with my own demons about it. But it's like I said, everybody has a past. But Amber's death caused me to want to do better, to be better. To not just be pissed off about all the racist assholes coming out of the woodwork since 2016, or about us in the black community continuing to fuck ourselves over. I wanted, I needed to do something. I had something to say and I needed my voice to be heard. I couldn't just keep pretending that everything is going to be alright without a lot of somebody doing something. And the bottom line was why not me? To have known me at any point in my life up to that point is to know that that change was a seismic shift in my global outlook. In our family, Kobe was the oldest, the quintessential big brother and our moral compass. Corey was the middle child, the responsible one. Though he never struggled to find an identity as the middle children often do, he was the one that took care of what needed to be done. 
no questions, no complaints. He just did. And then there was me, the baby of the bunch. And I admit that just like Corey was the opposite of the stereotypical middle child, I was the personification of the last born child, spoiled rotten, in the center of my own universe. So for me, the Righteous Brothers was not only a chance to change the dynamic of my declining community, it was a chance for me to change the narrative of my own story. Each of my brothers and I were two years apart, and my dad died when I was 14. And losing him changed us all in ways that weren't always easy to understand. The one certain thing is that we were all forced to grow up faster than we should have had to. At age 18, though, by default, Kobe had become the man of the house. Mom, of course, was the ultimate arbiter of what we did or didn't do, but she relied heavily on Kobe, as did Corey and I. It was unfair that Kobe had to shoulder such a burden in helping to raise Corey and me. But looking back, I see more than anything. It is what strengthened his relationship with God. Corey. So India, what are you trying to say? This was a conversation that I'd had with my ex-wife approximately two years ago about caring for our children. For three years before this conversation, we had split custody and care for them in half. We each had them a few days a week. Admittedly, it wasn't ideal, but at least we both got a bit of a break from all the issues that being a single parent presented. In our case, those issues were significantly complicated by the fact that our oldest son, Dante, was diagnosed with autism when he turned three years old. The other two children, Dalvin and Daniel, were typically developing children and were three and five years younger than Dante. As such, caring for them all was difficult even under the best of circumstances. And now, I'm not trying to say anything, Corey. I've said it quite clearly, and I don't intend to co-parent with you anymore. I'm tired. I'm physically drained by all this, and I can't keep doing it. I won't keep doing it. My relationship with India had been up and down and just all over the place for the past few years. We divorced about six years ago and had tried to date seriously, tried to see each other casually, and even tried just having a physical relationship, but it always ended badly. Rather, it always ended badly and with me to blame, according to her. As a result, we clashed on almost everything. India, do you think I'm not tired? Well, if you are, then why would you fight me on this? Why would you want to continue having these kinds of interactions? I don't. I would love for us to never have this conversation or even this kind of conversation again. But it's not about me or what I want. It's about them and what they need at this point. Well, you weren't thinking about that when you walked out on your family. Oh, here we go again with that. Indy and I had been married for six years and dated for two years before we got married. I was probably happy for about the first year and a half. After that, she slowly became a different woman, which culminated into, yes, here we go. I didn't tell you to break your vows with every skank you could lay down with. That hurt. But not just on the strength of the common itself. It hurt for a couple of reasons. The first was that it was not really an accurate description of what happened. 
I'm sorry to say that it is true that I did stray from our vows. However, the one affair that I did have was with a somewhat long-term friend. Not some skank, as she put it. The difference may be just semantics for India. But for me, there's a real distinction. The other reason it hurt was that during one of our more friendly periods, I gave her the most sincere and heartfelt apology that I've ever given in my life. We both cried a little. She said she forgave me, yet here it was again being thrown back up in my face. First of all, India, I've admitted to you what I did and I apologized for it. And I told you that it was only with one woman, not every anything, one woman. And so you can break your promise to God, but I'm supposed to believe that you would be honest with me, right? I'm not trying to have this conversation with you again. Dear, what are you going to do about... See, that's part of the problem. You think you can just end the conversation whenever you feel like it. I hate it when she wanted to continue arguing for no reason other than to argue about the process of arguing. All right, well, let's talk about it then. What do you think your part in all of this is in, is in, in all of this, India? <laughs> my part? How dare you try to make this about me? I'm not the one who strayed. I didn't break my vows. Well, did you love, honor, cherish, and obey? Because I don't remember any of those things going on either. You know, Corey, you have some nerve. Oh, yeah. No, I, of course not. You don't want to talk about that. What you, anything that, that you may or may not have done. I mean, it's amazing how you can see everybody else's shit but your own. Don't curse at me. I didn't. I cursed at the description of everybody else's inappropriate behavior. But you seem to be able to pick out just fine. In contrast to your own, which you seem to not even notice 99.9% of the time. And when on the rare occasion that you do notice your own crap, it's only in the context of what somebody else did to make you respond the way you did. Corey, I'm not going to have this conversation with you anymore. All I need to hear is what you want to do with the kids. Either you're going to take them or, I'm or I will. But this is not going to continue. I'm not going to mention this again until the end of the summer. So for the next two months, you have a chance to think about it, make up your mind and put some things in place. But understand, I am not going to continue doing this with you. This co-parenting, it's too difficult. So you need to decide which one. But one of us is going to be the primary caregiver. No more of this three and a half day a week stuff. They're either going to be with you or they're going to be with me. No. 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 Look. This three-and-a-half-day thing was your idea, India. And I'm not going to rearrange my life and their lives again just so that you can... Hello? Shit. I just started to get used to the schedule of care that India and I had established two years ago. At that point, I had built-in daycare system that, while not perfect, did not really rely on her at all. But as I said, she kept at me until I agreed to get an overnight job so that we could co-parent. Now she's saying she doesn't want to do it anymore. What type of bullshit is that? Kobe. Now, I know some of y'all are saying, well, Reb, I personally am doing my level best. But are you really?
Is there really nothing more you can do at this point? The peace I felt this morning relaxed me and made my mind wander as I struggled to focus on Kobe's sermon. Unfortunately, all I could think about was how much I was anticipating making love to my wife again after church was over. For a moment, I thought Tina might be reading my thoughts as she squeezed my hand and whispered, Go! In a stern voice and playfully raised an eyebrow at me. But as I looked down into my lap, I began to understand why it wasn't my mind she was reading, but rather, let's just say my anticipation was a little more obvious than I had initially realized. Thankfully, even though the church was crowded, the next person down was at least four or five feet away. I had to laugh to myself a little bit at the absurdity of having such impure thoughts in church of all places. I couldn't help myself though. Tina and I had only been married eight months and I am completely and totally in love with her. If such a thing as soulmates exist, she definitely is mine. I never thought I'd meet a woman who was so strong and yet so feminine at the same time. In any event, I was in the process of trying to shift my thoughts back to the sermon when I felt someone tap me on my shoulder. I can do more and I'm going to do more. Apparently, while my thoughts were elsewhere, Kobe told the congregant to tap three neighbors and tell them what the general plan was to address the plight of children and brethren in our city. I tapped three people too. But over the past year, the Righteous Brothers and I had developed a slightly more specific plan. What's up, y'all? I hope you've enjoyed this month's episode from my upcoming book called Who in the Name? Soon to be available at lulu.com. Uh, if you're interested in purchasing any of my previous work, again, please look me up at www.lulu.com slash spotlight slash Richard Eric. Right. I appreciate you. Peace and love always. Follow.